Father, we do thank you that you never sway. We thank you that you save us by your grace. We thank you that you keep us by your grace. Lord, we thank you that your presence is here with us now by your grace. Lord, I ask that you guide us now by your spirit as we look at your word. And it's in Jesus' name I pray and ask these things. Amen. Well, we're all prone from time to time to make a mess. We all have to clean up a mess on a fairly consistent basis. Uh, Some of us, obviously, are more accident-prone than others, but all of us know what it's like uh, to clean up a mess. In fact, just the other day, I was holding a chunky baby boy in this arm, and with this hand, I was trying to fill a syringe with some uh, medicine, and as I was in the process of juggling those acts, I knocked over the bottle of medicine, and it began to quickly pile up on the kitchen countertop before then making its way over the edge of the countertop and down the door of the cabinet and onto the floor. This wasn't just any over-the-counter medicine. This was uh, an, an antibiotic, you know, one of those medicines that you're supposed to take all of Uh, and ensure that uh, you get uh, the full uh, amount. So, in my good fatherly judgment and instinct, I quickly set my son down on the floor and grabbed the closest clean cup I could find and began to scrape it off (laughs) the countertop and back into a cup, ultimately back into a bottle, and decided that uh, perhaps the, the medication on the countertop was worth saving, but... That which had made its way down to the floor, probably not so much. After all, if it can handle an ear infection, then surely it can handle whatever else is on that countertop, right? (laughs) Well, cleaning up our own messes is one thing. Uh, Having to clean up someone else's mess is something altogether different. And we serve a God who is good at cleaning up messes. A God that never has to clean up his own mess because he is perfect in every way. He is holy. He never makes a mistake. Everything he does is good, just as is recorded in Genesis 1 in his creation account. He created all of these things and he saw that it was good. Yet he is a God who in his love and his goodness and his mercy and his grace is good at cleaning up our messes. God who often intervenes in our lives in order to clean up something that we have made a mistake of. And this morning as we look in God's word in Genesis chapter 12, we see an example, a story of of where God cleaned up the mess of a man named Abram, a mistake that Abram had made, a situation that Abram had found himself in before God intervened and cleaned up what he had made a mess of. So I want to invite you to open up your Bibles with me, to look with me in God's Word in Genesis chapter 12. And as we look at Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 10, verses 10 through 20, we'll, we will see this morning from God's Word that that though God's plan is threatened by human deception, God graciously intervenes to preserve His promises. Though God's plan is threatened by human deception, 
In this particular case, Abram's deception, God graciously intervenes to preserve his promises. Look with me now at Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. You know this is going to be a good story, right? Surely a good outcome if a husband stops and tells his wife, I know what a beautiful woman you are. Verse 12, when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. When Abram came to Egypt, the Egyptians saw that Sarai was a very beautiful woman. And when Pharaoh's officials saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, and she was taken into his palace. He treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. Verse 17, but the Lord inflicted serious diseases or plagues on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram, what have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife, in everything he had. Just to pause for a moment as we think about this story and to try to put ourselves in Abram's shoes in this particular story. After all, Abram is the main human character of this story. We want to attempt to understand what it is that he was thinking that led to this sort of behavior, this sort of deception. And Abram has, had just been called by God in the previous verses Uh, called uh, to go and to follow the Lord's leadership, to go to the place that the Lord is going to show him. And as a result of that, he would experience great blessing. The Lord tells him that he'd make him into a great nation, that he would bless him, that uh, he would make his name great. And as a result of all that, then Abram and his descendants would be a blessing on all the peoples of the earth. So God calls, and we read that Abram obeys quickly obeys, he sets out, he takes his wife Sarai, verse 5, and his nephew Lot, and everything they have, and they head toward the land of Canaan, this land that God is showing him. And sometime later, and we don't really know how long later, we don't really know the time frame of the events here, but sometime later, we're told that in this land, this land that God had promised to, to Abram's descendants, a famine broke out. In a land, the land of Canaan, a land that during that time was completely dependent on annual rainfall for an abundant crop, this famine was probably the result of drought. We're told that this is not just any famine, this is a severe famine. So much so that Abram gathers up his belongings, gathers up his family, begins to head toward Egypt. As he's on his way to Egypt, he begins to wonder and to think about how the Egyptians, particularly those that are rich and powerful in Egypt, the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, how they are going to treat him in Egypt upon his arrival there. After all, this is a foreign land. This is not a place that he has significant roots. It's at the mercy of those he encounters. He realizes and recognizes that 
His wife, Sarai, is a beautiful woman. And he comes up with this little scheme, telling his wife, tell them that she is a sister. A little white lie, a half-truth, really, we find out later in Genesis chapter 20 when Abram does something similar once again. And this is not just something that he imagined. Attractiveness of his wife that caused him to fear for his life was not something in his own mind. After all, we're told in verse 14 that when they saw Sarai, they indeed recognized that she was a very beautiful woman, so much so that she was taken to the king, taken to Pharaoh. And in return, Abram is given all of these things. Sheep, cattle, donkeys, servants, camels, probably as a dowry or as a payment for Sarai to be his wife. And before we jump to conclusions and point the finger at Abram for this deceptive act, let's think about things from his perspective. Think about things from his shoes. He's just been called by God. He's been told by God to go out, to set out to this land that the Lord is going to show him. And ultimately, this land that's going to be given to his family, to his descendants. Now, sometime later, all of a sudden, this land that was promised to Abram and his descendants is temporarily unlivable. Maybe Abram begins to doubt this promise of God. Maybe he begins to think that perhaps this great promise, this great blessing from God is something that God is not able to follow through on, on his own. He moves down to Egypt. No reason to believe that he didn't have intentions or plans of returning back to Canaan. After all, this is a sojourn, a temporary stay. Even so, though, his faith is never mentioned here. Leaves, begins to doubt, begins to wonder if God can really get him through this situation on his own. Perhaps he began to think and to believe that popular line today that God helps those who help themselves. Maybe God needed his help to preserve his own life. After all, he was the recipient here of this blessing and promise from God. Don't believe that common line. Don't believe that common phrase. Although it sounds good to our ears, it makes sense in our minds, it feels good to our hearts, but that's not the gospel. God helps those who can't help themselves. God intervenes, God leads, God controls, God guides. In fact, to believe that God simply helps those who help themselves really misses the the heart of the gospel, misses the heart of grace. It's the grace of God that leads us, the grace of God that guides us, the grace of God that cares for us and saves us. Jesus is not simply to be like a slice of lemon that we add to our freshly prepared glass of sweet tea. Jesus is not simply to be something that we add to our lives or one segment of our lives. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through Him. 
Faith in God and the God of Scripture cannot be simply one part of our lives. It cannot be one segment of our lives. It cannot simply be an additive an additive or an ingredient to our lives. Faith in God must be our life. And like Abram was here, we are prone to, to make a mess of things by attempting to fix situations we find ourselves in with no real acknowledgement of the presence of God and the need for faith in God. And when we begin to fix things ourselves, we begin to ignore God, thinking that we can handle the situation, often then leading to direct disobedience to the standard of God, here in the form of Abram's deception. We learn from this little story that potential danger often leads God's people to respond with deception. Potential danger, the threat of his own life here, potential danger often leads God's people to respond with deception. Abram feared for his life. Feared that he was going to be killed on account of his wife, even though God had already promised him and told him that he would make him into a great nation and bless him and to make his name great. And through his descendant, through his line, through his family, bless all peoples of the earth. Abram began to doubt the promises of God, resulting in his disobedience before God. His failure to live up to the perfect and holy standard, standard of God. And how do we respond when danger shows itself or potentially threatens our lives. Do we begin to doubt God? Do we begin to take matters into our own hands, thinking that we on our own can fix the circumstance or the situation? Aren't you glad that the Bible doesn't gloss over the mistakes of those that we regard as our heroes of the faith? Men like Abram, who we know is a hero of the faith, our father in the faith, Scripture so often goes to great lengths to show us that these individuals are humans just like us. Humanity always coupled with the inclination, the proclivity to sin. Abram began to doubt. Began to take his life and the situation of his life, the matters of his life into his own hands. Potential danger often leads people to respond with deception, and deception may threaten God's blessing. Deception may threaten God's blessing. Here, Abram acted, acted on the basis that his life was in danger, made every effort really to spare himself, making sure that his life was preserved. But God's plan was much greater than just Abram's life. God's plan was much bigger than just his life. Because ultimately, through through the line of Abram, through the covenant marriage of Abram and his wife Sarai, God had plans to, to bring about the one who would indeed bless all peoples of the earth. The son of Mary... And of God. God's plans involve not just Abram. 
involved his wife as well. Ultimately, actions here, the deception of Abram, puts his own wife in danger. The purity of his own wife in danger, essentially giving her to be the wife of a foreign king, jeopardizing God's plan, jeopardizing God's promises, and ultimately his plan to bring the Messiah to earth. Abram had created a mess. Thankfully, the Lord was going to intervene and clean it up. God's people often respond to danger with deception, and deception may threaten God's blessing, and the Lord may intervene to protect His blessing. The Lord may intervene to protect His blessing, and that's exactly what He did here in the circumstances of Abram and Sarah's life. Because at this point, the call of God, the promise of God, the blessing of God was not just dependent any longer on Abram's obedience, but it was based on God's call. God had called and Abram had initially responded with faith and obedience and God was going to carry out his plans. Look back at chapter 12, verse 17. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said, why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? So that I took her to be my wife. Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men and they sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. God's plan had been threatened by human deception, by Abram's deception. God graciously intervened to preserve his promises. His plan, his program was too important to be messed up by his servant's mistake. And so he cleaned up this mess. And in response to the events that took place, in response to what Abram did and and God's intervention and the consequences on Pharaoh and his household, Pharaoh was livid. We don't know how he knew that what he had done. Pharaoh really not painted in a, a negative light here for Pharaoh had taken this woman to be his wife unknowingly mistreating her, unknowingly interfering with God's plan and promises. And now God shows up. God intervenes and ultimately carries out part of the very blessing that he gave Abram in the verses before. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. As a result of these diseases or plagues, same word used later for plagues, Pharaoh's angry. He says, get your stuff and get out of here. And kicks him out of Egypt. Sends some men. Send him on his way. Went on his way with his wife and everything he had. From our angle, it looks like Abram got away pretty good. Was this really a big deal to God? After all, he left with his wife. Everything he had, probably a reference to the things that Pharaoh had given him. The animals, the livestock, the servants. Ultimately, this is not God condoning Abram's behavior. In fact, there would be consequences later as a direct result of his disobedience here. Later, he would have issues with his nephew Lot over land. Ultimately, he would have issues with a female servant, Hagar, an Egyptian 
female servant whom he likely acquired here in Egypt during this time. God was not God was not encouraging Abram's mistakes. Rather, God was cleaning up his mess in order to preserve his own promises. And this is similar to later example in Scripture when Abram's descendants, the people of Israel, had rebelled against God, had turned their backs against God, ultimately experiencing the judgment of God, living in captivity among another people. And the Lord, through Ezekiel, says to them, Therefore say to the Israelites, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone, I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their very eyes. In other words, God didn't simply intervene and rescue Abram for Abram's sake. God had a bigger plan, a greater plan, ultimately a plan to deliver people from bondage in sin through his son, the seed of Abraham and Sarah. And as God's people later began to read this account, and as we as people of God gathered this morning read this account, we ought to think of another much larger story than just these 10 or 11 verses. We ought to see the similarities between this story and another story where God's people also left the land because of a severe famine in the land and traveled to Egypt and also found themselves at the mercy of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Also acquired great wealth at the hands of the Egyptians and ultimately were delivered because of plagues like these plagues against Pharaoh and his household. And these stories are not simply meant to be good Bible stories or historical stories, but these stories are meant to encourage us as the people of God in our faith today. We are to trust the Lord even when His plans and His promises and His purposes don't seem to be making sense in our own lives. Folks, the plans of the Almighty God, the plans of the Creator of the universe will be carried out even when there is famine in the land. Even when there is opposition to His Word. Even when your life or my life is in danger. Even when the Messiah's first coming is greeted with arrest and trial and crucifixion. And even when His second coming seems to be delayed. God's plans will be accomplished. Church, though God's plan is threatened by human deception, God graciously intervenes to preserve His promises. Aren't you thankful that God graciously intervenes to clean up our messes so often? As a result of of these truths, let's trust the Word of God. Let's trust the word of God that when God says something is true, when God says that something will happen, then let's believe him at his word. Let's take him at his word. Abram here acted in fear, a lack of trust in the Lord. Let's trust him in all things. We have his word. It is true. It is trustworthy. It's a guide for life. It will come to pass. Let's trust in Him. 
Even when we face disease or death, even when circumstances in our own lives don't seem to to jive or to match up with what we might think God's plan for us should be or ought to be, even when terrorism abounds and evil seems to be winning, let's trust the Word of God. Even when nominal Christians begin to leave the church because of cultural pressures that don't match up with the beliefs of the Word of God. Let's trust the Word of God. Let's trust His Word in everything. Because if we don't, if we begin to doubt Him, begin to attempt to take matters into our own hands, then like Abram, we will be susceptible to temptation and sin. Let's trust the Word of God and let's flee temptation. Flee temptation. So when we begin to doubt, the Lord, or began to think that perhaps the Lord needs our help. Perhaps the Lord needs us to, to help him carry out his plans. Then our faith diminishes and our pride increases. And where pride increases, we are so much more susceptible to temptation and sin. So much more susceptible to do things our way. Sin crouching at the door, waiting for us to, to take charge. To give in, to fix the situation. But let's trust the word of God. Let's flee temptation. And lastly, let's praise the sovereign God. Praise the sovereign God. Aren't you glad that God is sovereign? Aren't you glad that nothing in our lives, nothing in this life catches God by surprise? Aren't you glad that he is ultimately in control? Folks, God is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our adoration. He is worthy of our faithfulness. He is worthy of our obedience. He is worthy of our lives. So let's praise him now as a great God who graciously intervenes in our lives to preserve his great plans and promises. Father, we do thank you that you are sovereign. Lord, we praise you because you are worthy. We thank you that that by your grace you so often intervene in the mess that we have made. We thank you that salvation, spiritual salvation, eternal salvation, comes to us, is available to us because you graciously intervened on our behalf. Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for your continued intervention and preservation and faithfulness despite our faithlessness so often, Lord. Lord, forgive us where we fail you. Help us to believe you at your word, to trust in your word. Lord, help us to flee temptation. Ultimately, Lord, help us to praise you because you are worthy and you are faithful. Hear our praise now. It's in Christ's name we pray.